passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. I'm Mike Chipos, man. I got this, yeah. And now, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time to listen to Reese and Dan on the Ankle Pick Pod. Welcome back, Ankle Pickers. We are here for another episode of the Ankle Pick Pod. Both the Quartz brothers bringing, bringing in the gallery, Kobe. And Danny, as usual, we're going to start off with news and notes because we did recap in last week's episode. And we're going to go straight in to UFC 273 breakdown. Before we get into it, quick house cleaning. One, shout out Hungry Harry at Twitter. I promise you we'd do it. Two. for content. He just wants to ink a big pie. I love the man. I love the man. He, he keeps us going. Two, go follow us on Twitter at Pod. Follow us on TikTok at Ankle Pick Pod. Follow us on YouTube. Guess what? At Ankle Pick Pod. Follow us on Instagram. And on OnlyFans, Ankle Dick Pod. <laughs> exactly. That one, that that gets wild on Saturdays. Um, okay. YouTube content coming up. Chaboy here is all in his bag with the video editing. So that's gonna be coming. And then I think. I think, I mean, our audio is going to be out about of to take, to take off. We're, we're zeroing in here on a, on a finished product. It's, it's incredible. Uh, oh, we're going to run another pack giveaway for UFC 273. Okay, that, that should be it for house cleaning. We're going live Saturday. Saturday morning. Yeah, oh, that too. We are going live Saturday morning. We're going live 930 Central. We're going to talk our finalized picks. A little bit of the card preview. Kobe hosts that one. Country Club does, but we'll figure that out. You know, clean up the mess we make here today. Exactly. Exactly. So, not to mention right. finalizing an ankle lock because Reese and I have not met beforehand. We'll we're kind of going to be discussing everything live. Reese and I usually do a little discussion beforehand, but this is going to be some uh, uncovering uh, uncovering the ghosts live. Who, who's now, under that, that costume? Do we do? This might be effective, Dan. Maybe we find out that. After going through the breakdown, we're like, you know what? Ankle lock live, live ankle lock. Um, yes, sir. Right, let's crack the beers here. Keep that audio in there. And, news and notes. Let's go. News and notes. Um, I didn't order these the right way, but we're gonna do it on the fly. I, I, I saw an interesting one, and I want to lead us off. Go for it. I don't know if you have it in there, so I want to say it. Um, so. We all know that Adolfo Vieira was out against his fight with Wellington Terman. 
Turns out it was actually a very severe injury. I was reading about it. It was a cerebral angiography, angiography, and essentially what got detected was some issue with his brainstem and his spinal cord connected to his brainstem. And he might not have ever been able to fight again, which is just, like, yeah, this just came out of nowhere. Reading the report, this comes over from uh, Guillermo Cruz with MMA fighting, but essentially it sounds like from people close to him and close to the situation that he was cleared to fight again. Timetable unknown, but everything went clear with the, I, I believe it was a procedure of some sort and a very serious one. He wasn't know if he's going to be able to fight ever again and whatnot, but um, it, it, it has been, it, it sounds like he's going to be able to fight again and that everything's going good in, in his world. So that's awesome to hear, but I felt like that kind of got brushed under the rug and the whole fight cancellation, all that stuff. I didn't realize the severity of what was going on. No, cheers to that. I didn't either. I'm very happy to hear that he's cleared to fight and that we're going to see him again. He's a guy that as, as much as, We'll talk later when we get into the fluffy Hernandez breakdown. Um, had a, a big setback. He's as good as it comes when it, there's jujitsu on the table, and and so exciting to watch. And for those who follow you on Twitter, or the Ankle Pick Pod, or both, that uh, nice little piece of memorabilia came in. Is Adolfo on that? Uh, Adolfo's not on that. I think that he had a uh, one-off match against. Craig Jones, maybe, or something? Yeah, either Craig Jones or Gordon Ryan, but uh, the one-off matches didn't end up signing it. But Okay, but still. No, it's the coolest poster ever, but I had to ask. Yeah, and you'll see it maybe in a week or so behind me. Um, yep. Get, yep. Working on getting that guy framed. It's it's of the Quintet or Ultra event um, for you listeners that aren't familiar. It's a really awesome yep. poster. Now that we're going into the video realm, we're working on getting those backgrounds to be as – UFC, MMA, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, attractive, popping out as possible. So all good things on our end. All right, Kobe, that, 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 did you have that on the list of? I didn't. I'm glad you brought it up. Oh, okay. I'm glad I, I found that one. I was digging deep for that. So this week we already have one or a couple change-ups. Alexi Olenek is now fighting Jared Bandera. Ilir Latifi's out. That was news earlier this week, but since we last recorded, so. We'll check that one out in just a little bit. We have also new this week. This is interesting little development for fighter involving fighter pay. Uh, the fan bonus of the night is debuting this week. I don't know if y'all heard about this. Yeah, I but, did. It's oh yeah. Very, it's an interesting idea. Partnership with crypto.com. There's going to be fan voting all over the world for the three favorite fighters of the night. And it's going to be paid 30 K 20 K 10 K all in Bitcoin to those fighters. So, okay, that was actually a follow-up question I wanted. So it's confirmed in Bitcoin? Yep. Okay. I saw that it was it was labeled as like 30K, for example. So like it, I, I didn't know if it was USD, but sponsored by crypto.com or if it was actually going to be a crypto payment. That's pretty cool. That's, that's actually really cool. Um, and then you said it's, it's we're picking three fighters for the fan, fan votes? Yep. So in order to do that for anyone who's interested, I'm sure they're going to promote the shit out of it, but it it's at crypto.com slash what UFC something. I'm, I'm I actually don't know off the top of my head, 
but okay. do sure. either of you know do, do you have to have a crypto.com account or how does it- i don't know okay so it's crypto.com slash fan bonus is the link to go cast your votes it opens up for the prelims before the the main card the pay-per-view prelims and then it, it closes an hour after the event concludes, UFC 273. Also, quickly, um, you vote for them to win up to 30000 in Bitcoin. And then you, as a fan, by voting, uh, have a chance to win early access to NFT drops, UFC store gift cards, and then three months of UFC Fight Pass, which I don't know about you, Dan, but my UFC Fight Pass is bookmarked. I pretty much live on that. And it looks like I, I did end up clicking the thing. It looks like you don't need an account. You just get on there and, and, and cast votes for your favorite fights. Very, fighter. very cool. Yeah. Uh, and one thing to consider fans that I'll be considering when I vote, um, it won't sway every decision, but it, it's who's on their first contract and who's probably operating at a loss to yep. just get to their camp and, and hire their coaches and whatnot and fly out their team um and and versus who's on like big six-figure deals obviously there's going to be a dis- difference in pay and and if if there's a pretty close bonus disc- or uh if you're between two guys and there's one of them's on 12 and 12 I, i'd encourage you to give it to the 12 and 12 guy no i i agree i'm really glad you mentioned that because you're looking at a lot of these champions who are going to bring over six figures so Go for the guys on, on that prelim undercard. Keeping it moving here. We have pink slip for Ben Rothwell removed from the UFC roster. Which is crazy. I thought that he had a fight booked. Um, whatever. And, and coming up this summer, maybe around International Fight Week, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, very sad to see him go. I don't, think we'll, I don't think this is the last we'll see him as a fighter. I'm just surprised that it happened the way that it did. I'm pretty sure he got booked for something. I, if I'm not mistaken. So he did have a fight and I can't remember who it was with like right now, but he had a fight and then they basically cut him and then just canceled his fight, which is so weird. It's also, he's the longest tenured guy. In was it Gustafson? He was supposed to fight Gustafson. Might've been Gustafson. That sounds right now that you're mentioning it. But he, he was – so he's been with the UFC for 13 years, and there was a suspension and stuff. So he was the longest, even more than, like, Jim Miller and stuff, uh, tenured fight on under contract. So see you, see you, Ben Rothwell. The week of UFC 275 in Singapore, there's some rumblings that there's going to be a couple different eight-man tournaments across four divisions, 125, 135, 145, and 155. Um, contracts are out to fighters to try to get all eight in each division set and no word yet on who those individuals are, as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware. Um, so, yeah, I saw like one tweet or something about this, but really haven't looked into it at all. Um, do you know, Kobe is, is the winner guaranteed a title shot? Is it supposed to be the top eight contenders? Is it supposed to be unranked guys? Do you, I, I really don't know what, you know, I'm just kind of posing I, questions. I don't think it's active UFC guys. I think it might be some sort of contender series thing. Like where they're fighting that, for roster spots. So that's actually what I got from it. I did very little digging like surface level dusting. And it sounds like they're basically doing like a contender series tournament type thing 
is what it sounded like. But I think it's like probably in like the earliest ideas. I also heard it was a lot of international fighters, which makes me think that it's not at current active UFC guys. Interesting. I, I don't know why I read it as active rostered fighters um, just kind of being posed in a Grand Prix kind of situation. But I'm looking forward to whatever. I think it's an interesting wrinkle that the UFC hasn't explored since like UFC like six, UFC four or five. Yeah. Now that you mention it, Kobe, I, I do think I read that there's a lot of um, a lot of contracts went out to Japanese fighters. Now that you mentioned, I think we might have read the same thing because I that's everything you said is exactly what I, it sounded like to me. Mm-hmm. We got some fight announcements, not too many, but let's roll through these quick. Devin Clark and William Knight on April 16th. Yeah, I was about to say, that's like in a week or two. That's yep. really coming up quick, but that's a great bounce-back matchup for Brown Bear, in my opinion. So I actually – I'm not going to spend too long, Kobe, but I this is a fight I'm actually excited for because of the way the matchup looks. I mean, Devin Clark is a guy who likes to obviously push the pace and, and wrestle, and William Knight's a guy who throws power but is huge as far as, like, size goes. I – this is an intriguing matchup. I know it's not like a division shifting matchup, but I think this is going to be one that's more enjoyable to fans than I think people originally are expecting. We also have still in April as well, Marcin Pracnio and Felipe Linz is scheduled for April 23rd, the following week. Okay. Yeah. Two lesser level yeah, that's fighters. Cool. Joaquin Buckley, and this is a new name to me, so I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but uh, Absupian Magomedov, June fourth. Dan's the guy who would know. <laughs> Doesn't ring a bell right off the right off the bat. That name, um, that name has dank wagers written all over it. We'll have some more insight. I love that now. I'm just associated with whatever Dagestani fuck comes through. That's where I'm. That's where I'm I only backed him before. No, that's where I'm at with you. If there's any type of name that no one in the world has heard of i expect to get a rise out of you where you're like what you don't know you don't know this guy he's he's got six toes and can grapple backwards (laughs) (laughs) all right the last one june 18th kyle Dawkins and roman delita now that's a fun fight man i don't like that matchup for roman but oh that's gonna be fun He's going to do everything in his power to lose that while being the better fighter in the octagon. Yeah, he's going to – the home wrecker is going to have a grappling match right there. That's going to be crazy. All right, that's all I got for news and notes. You guys got anything to add? No, I mean, I, I the Hadolfo thing I really wanted to add, I wanted to do the, the uh, crypto fighters. So, you know what? I think this is perfect. Oh, but you know what? I actually have a question before we get out of this factor about the crypto bonuses. Do you think that if these fighters keep this crypto, that it'll actually help the price of Bitcoin? I think it does less for whatever Bitcoin market than, I I mean, obviously the MRI, the something, Marshall Rogan, Enu, fighters think that they have this sway within cryptocurrency, but I still consider that more of a meme coin than anything else. And something like Bitcoin is actually dependent on people like no no one's looking at fighters like hey that's where i want to back my financial future on their financial decisions no you're right but um and honestly that kind of comes in with the fact about picking the guy who's getting 12 and 12 is just help these guys out because 
they can't even financially, you know, support a lot of them. Yeah, I'm really, I'm really just seeing it as a, a cash bonus. And I think that the smart ones will probably cash out 50% of it and let 50% of it ride or something like that. Yeah, speaking but, of smart ones, Kobe, there's a guy in this chat right now that's holding on to a $2,000 NFT that he got from a pack and just letting it ride. So that's, that's absurd. Valentina Shevchenko, series one or series zero. Let me know when you think she's going to lose. Never. I don't know if it's about that. All right, let's get into this week's card because I don't want to insult Danny's net worth and his retirement holdings. Okay. So UFC 273, it's looking like a 13-fight card. Main card's going to have two title fights and then the people's main event, too, in the the Comzot Burns. We'll get there. We're going to start where we always start. And, Dan, for a prelim fight for, like, the curtain jerker, one of these guys is an absolute name, and that's Julio Arce. I'm a huge fan of his, Arce. It's it's Julio Arce versus Daniel Santos. And the line is Arce minus 185 over on five dimes, but it has peaked at 200 in some places. Daniel Santos plus 160 on the other side. This opened at 160, and Dan, I mean instantly, we can cut that slap, but instantly dropped to well over 200, and then it's come back down into that 200 range. But people hit Arce hard, hard. Um, how do you see this one going? To be honest, I'm a little concerned uh, for the Arce side. Mm. Obviously, it's Santos' debut, but – from what I've seen uh, in his tape is he likes to move forward. He's a, he's a pressure guy. He, he likes to really use his pressure striking to hurt his opponents and, and trap them into the corners of the cage. Um, and the one hole I, I kind of seen is in the grappling. And that's not where I expect Julio to take this fight. Julio more likes to stand on the outside, have that clean fight, use his footwork and, and, uh, his southpaw stance to be a little bit unorthodox and just hard to deal with from the outside. And I think that that's going to be a tough task and a tough strategy against the guy in Santos who likes to pressure you and put your back against the cage. Yeah. The one thing, though, is if you look at Julio Arce's at least UFC career, he's faced a lot of guys that are primarily strikers and have come out well the other side. Now, I mean, these guys aren't the top, top names, but I mean, you got Danny Gay in there. And then you got uh, Julian Arosa, big striker guy, Andre Ewell, both long, lanky guys. So I, I almost think that favors Arce, too, to keep it on the feet. I don't think that that Santos has anything that Arce can't answer with. I don't know. Stylistically, I kind of thought that Daniel Santos was more similar to Shaman Marais than anything else mm-hmm. in terms of Julio's record. And even though that was a split and there's an argument that Julio won that, um, I think that Daniels will actually a lot better than Shaman and is going to be able to use that pressure in a different way. Uh, it's more similar to how Song Yudong did, even though they're very not similar in terms of skill level. Um, but stylistically, I think that Daniel Santos is kind of like a step up of Shaman Marais, who's going to use that Song, Song Yudong game plan that's been proven. And I and think I he know, might be able to give Julio some trouble and hurt him. And I know when I was researching Santos too, he fights out a, a shoot box in Brazil, which if you know, that camp is made of nothing but just killers and just durable guys too. I mean, they're durable is the word. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So 
this this one could tease that over too, assuming because because Arce is a guy who's also been pr- proven to be extremely durable. Outside of uh, Kung, what's his Kung Fu Monkey? Is that his nickname? Um, I'm drawing a uh, Songy Dong. Um, oh, I don't know songs you can nickname. It's Kung Fu Monkey. Sorry, All right. we we digress. Next fight on the card is a women's fight with what, half of the fight being a, a OnlyFans in Kay Hansen, and on the other side we got Pera Rodriguez, who's seven and zero, making I believe her UFC debut. Um, yeah, so she fought in the Contender Series, so she's making her official UFC debut, and. The line on this one is Kay Hansen at minus 105, Rodriguez minus 115. Opened at 110 each way. So very little movement. And and you can get that minus 115 or minus 105 like if you shop lines. I mean, it's very close across the board. I think I favor the newcomer, Dan. So we did, I think as a podcast, maybe it was just on my card, but the OnlyFans fade last time Kay fought. Um, I think I'm actually reversing on that. And I was smiling a little bit when you said the lines, just having K as the minus 105, technically the dog, because this one's going to fit my science. I think that she's going to have a major grappling advantage here. And especially in the jujitsu, I think that as, as long as she's shooting for takedowns and that's a huge part of her game plan, she's going to have a ton of success. Uh, Rodriguez seems decently well-rounded. She always had relied on her striking kind of before coming to the contender series. Um, and then look, and then was able to use her grappling really effectively in the contender series fight. But I think that Kay's grappling is just on a different level. And I think she's going to be able to expose Pierre if this is mainly a grappling fight. This won't see my card. I'm not sitting here touting Kay Hansen is, is some contender or anything. If anything, I think the line might be a little inflated, but um, at dog, even money for the much better grappler in a woman's fight. I, I really like that situation. The thing that worries me though, is I don't know if Kay Hansen is going to push that pace in the grappling. I mean, she's taken amateur boxing fights. She likes to stay standing. I know that it's something in her Rolodex, but at 22 years old, struggled in the UFC as of recent, I, I don't know if she's going to be able to implement the game plan that you're calling for. And that's kind of my fear with it and why I lean towards the newcomer. Although I definitely will not be betting this either, nor, nor will I defy science, not in this lifetime. Okay. Next fight in the card, Anthony fluffy for, Han- for Hernandez recently teased by Dan via subbing the goat versus Josh Fram making his UFC debut. And the line here is Anthony Hernandez minus 200 friend minus or plus 170 on the other side line has moved up a little bit in favor of Anthony Hernandez open at minus 150. So it's actually a pretty decent movement. And a lot of it happened early, which kind of tips towards that being sharps hitting it that way early. Where, where's your head at on this one? Cause you know, Anthony Hernandez is a guy for me, that I tend to have been on, on team fade. I didn't love his performance on the contender series. I don't, I, 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 I didn't love what I saw from him in his quick two law, his two bolded losses in the UFC have been finishes, but then he also shows signs of brilliance 
beating Brendan Allen in the LFA regional, um, beating Hadolfo. Obviously that was a weird one, but so I, I don't know how to, where to put this because I don't necessarily love Anthony Hernandez, but on the same side, it depends what Anthony Hernandez we're going to get. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, the the Brandon Allen fight is one that really impressed me, actually. But Anthony Hernandez yeah. is not a guy who I get overly excited about anytime he's fighting. Um, this matchup, I do think, is a great one for him. Josh is a factory X Muay Thai fighter. His main hole in his game is, is a grappling, and it's a big old hole. Fluffy is going to look to push him back against the fence, drag him to the mat, and really do some good work from on top. And, he, and as we saw, Fluffy's got great submission defense and he's got good top pressure. So I think that this is a situation where uh, as long as he can keep his gas tank under him and, and really, really pace himself, I think he'll be able to win at least two rounds. And I think this is a good, is there, really good matchup for him. If, especially for our listeners, is there a fight in particular and, and if not, that's okay. But is there a fight in particular on Josh Frem's record that showed you that grappling hole? Or is it more just from most of most, if not all, of his record coming from Muay Thai type punches and, and strikings? Was there a fight that you zoned in on and said, wow, he's missing this, missing this? Or is it just the fact that he prefers to to stay standing and get most of his work done on the feet? Well, so there was, um, uh, I think, this two fights ago, was it? The LFA fight, Renato yeah. Valente, um, where where Friend was a massive favorite and, and Valente was able to really drag that and drag him into deep waters and, and make mm-hmm. it not as, as easy as a fight as it could have been. Because the only reason why I mentioned it the only reason why I mentioned it is because on looking for a fight, which I think is where most people would know him from, he actually managed to get the job done on the ground. And so I don't know if the average listener, the average person is going to realize that there is a gap there. And so I was wondering if there was a fight in particular. And so it sounds like there might have been in that LFA win or a couple of his others. He definitely prefers to stay striking. That that part's clear. Um so if Hernandez executes the right game plan, it sounds like you're on that 200 there. Yeah, I think that that's the better side. I don't know if that's going to see my card, but yeah. I, I think it's a, just a great stylistic matchup for Fluffy. And, and we're all about that. Prelim fight, we mentioned it in news and notes for the quick change, but Alexi Olenek is going to be taking on Jared Vandera. Seemingly a quick turnaround time for him. I feel like we just saw him not that long ago with this, even though he did lose, I, I can't remember who's against, but this is minus 110 each way, pretty much everywhere. It leaned Alexio Linick early uh, at minus 135 and has kind of evened out a little bit. I mean, at this point, especially with Alexio Linick, he fights so often. I feel like that I beat a dead horse on my takes with him where it's just like he could get jabbed and just go to sleep instantly but if this hits the mat, I would basically say it's over. So I won't be touching this one no matter what. I don't have near enough faith in Vendera, and I have no interest on betting a 71-year-old in Alexi Olenek. But I'm right the there line, with you. What's yeah, up, no, I, I didn't mean to cut you off at all. I'm right no, there you with cut, you. You cut out. You cut out. What would you say? 
I said I'm right there with you. Mm. Um, I Vandera's not a power puncher, but am I going to be surprised if Olenek goes out within a jab and a hook? Right. Um, no. It's just not one that I'm excited about on either side. And even you're looking at props, you know Olenek mainly going for those subs. And plus 160 just isn't even enough value to bet on, as you said, a 71-year-old. But Vandera, I don't think is the cal- – like, he's just not a, a great fighter. He doesn't have the skill set that would be in the UFC in any other division besides heavyweight. And so I'm not touching this. Yeah, the other thing, too, about it is that I want to just mention for the people listening, looking at it strategically. If you have a very strong read on one of these guys – Minus 110 could end up being a gift of a price. Because like we said, Vendera could end this in 30 seconds with a jab. But if this does hit the mat, Olenek could end it quick. So if you feel like one of these guys are going to be able to implement their game plan, 110 is a great price. I just don't trust with my hard-earned cash that either of these guys are going to be able to do that. And so for me, I'm staying away. But I don't want to tell everyone to completely stay away because if you have a read on this one, there's a good shot it's right because of how one-sided each of these guys are going to be in their, in their tactics. Um, okay, next up we got Mickey Gall still in the UFC. And he's fighting Mike Malott. And Slick Mick Gall is plus 160, as he's prone to be, the plus. And Mike Malott is minus 185. Line movement on here in Malat's favor. It opened at 140 in favor of Malat and, and is steamed as high as minus 200, reasonably so. From, from following Mickey Gall's entire career, from the debut season of looking for a fight till now, I, I have yet to find somebody who's like, I'm riding Mickey Gall. He's got it. You know what I mean? I mean, he's Definitely. dropping fights to 42-year-old Diego Sanchez. Um Mike yeah, finished Perry. there too. What? Yeah, finished by a 42-year-old Diego Sanchez as well. Yeah, and no, Diego dominated him. And so it's like outside of like the low, low, low end of the, of the totem pole, especially guys with grappling problems, he's had zero moments of looking like the part. I think he's more of a personality. Like I said, he came off the Tuesday or the looking for a fight show. He's good looking. He's cocky. He's got that personality that I think a lot of people are drawn to. But when I look at one guy on the roster or one of the few guys on the roster who just isn't the caliber of fighting, he's one of the guys that sticks out to me. For sure. 100%. And I, across from him, Mike Malott is a decent enough jujitsu player where I'm not super worried about him being out of his depth. And he's a great striker. I think he's going to be able to hurt Mickey Gall. I think we're on the same side here. I don't love where it's moved. I hope that it kind of comes back to that maybe 165 area, but that's yeah. a little wishful thinking even at that point. Um, but I, I do lean a lot, and I, I would love to play him if it gets to an appropriate number, but I don't like it at 200. See, I'm, I'm almost with you to a T. It's like I like a lot, but there's too many external factors. Making a UFC debut, having a full crowd there, that – makes this hard to ride at, at minus 200 especially because as much as i shit on mickey gall his grappling is not bad it's just when you look at him as, and he's as shown to be durable i mean not yeah. always but recently he's yeah. shown to be hard to get out of there 
and he's shown that if you give him an, an angle and arm, he's going to take it. So it sounds like we're almost on the conclusion of the point. If you can get him a lot at under 165, 170, it might be worth a stab. 200, I'm staying away. You could maybe look it over, but I'm sure it's probably minus a, a decent margin. All right, prelim fight. Aspen Ladd versus Raquel Pennington. Raquel Pennington's been a huge uh, winner for me recently. I think I've wrote her two or three times where she cashed. She's minus 172 here over at five dimes against Aspen Ladd, who's plus 152 on the other side. The line, however, has moved in the same. So Raquel opened at minus 145 and has kind of just been hit since open. And she's seen as high as 190. So come back a little bit. But all in all, it seems like everyone's hitting that, that Raquel Pennington line there. Um, this fight is at, at uh, bantamweight, by the way. Although both these girls last weighed in at featherweight, I believe. It looks like Tapology has this at bantamweight. Interesting. I can confirm bantamweight. So... I, I think that probably favors Aspen Ladd. She seems to be the bigger person. Um, but one thing that's out. I think that uh, Raquel's on a little bit short notice here as well. So that could be a factor in terms it's of almost, the weight. Yeah, cut. I, I bet it is. Um, people know where I'm going to be here. I'm very much not going to back Raquel as, as a minus 180, whatever, almost two to one favorite. So. Here's my stance on, on why Aspen Ladd can win, even though she's looked awful in her recent fights and couldn't really get her wrestling off or land any strikes against Norman Dumont. That Raquel, was the parlay night, baby. Raquel just looked awful, and I think she's going to struggle if she ends up on her back here, and that's what Aspen has to be planning on doing, is really bringing the pressure. And even, even though it hasn't worked recently, she has to think that it can and that she can spend two rounds um, giving a lot of trouble to Raquel with her top pressure and just not letting Raquel to her feet. And so that's the, the methodology for the science, even though I will not be touching it. I do also think when push comes to shove, we'll see a tougher time for Aspen as she's proven time and time again, getting to that weight. And so it'll be interesting to see if she makes weight I mean, 45 or 35. So she fought at 45. 35 is a little less makeable for her. It'll be interesting to see if there's any way in antics, if she's able to make it comfortably. And then also when they square up, what, what the size difference really is. Because Raquel Pennington, I mean, she was on an early season of tough. She's fought for the title against Nunes. I mean, she's been through it all. Size is something that you can't necessarily just train for, you know? So it'll be interesting to see that one. But I think. As our systems go, and Kobe, I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you, but women's dogs have been paying us pretty. Dogs are eight and ten straight up on the year in 2022. Playing five units per dog, you're up 21.75 units. Yeah. So, and and so we're gonna do we're gonna keep the system rolling into this week, and it looks like Aspen Ladd will be our play. So, who am I to defy science? But it'll not see my card. Okay, this one was actually on set the spread. It was a short notice set the spread because of the Jan Sterling rematch, I believe. But we got Jarzinho Rosenstroik, Biggie Boy, versus Marcin Tibura. And Dan and I had opposite sides here in the line making. And the line has 
come even farther, it looks like. Biggie Boy is minus 152. Marcin Tiberius is plus 132. But Biggie Boy has seen minus 160 on almost every other site. And Rosenstroik opened at minus 130. So the way the graph looks as far as bet tickets coming in and movement is stagnant, 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 stagnant. And then out of nowhere, on March 26th, it dropped from 125 all the way to minus 150. So some big whales came in and just hammered that line in favor of Rosenstroik. Dan, I have a feeling you're agreeing with those whales here because you're a biggie boy guy. I am agreeing with them, but very reluctantly. Um, Tybura, to me, is on paper, by far the more complete mixed martial artist. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, if anyone's going to have grappling success in this fight, it's going to be Marcin Tybura, and I fully expect him to initiate that game plan. I think he will land a couple takedowns. The problem is that every time he does that, he's kind of exposing himself to the giant power that Biggie Boy has. And and mainly what I've been impressed by him is his accuracy. The output's not quite there. The gas tank's not quite there, but it's the power and the accuracy. And, and I mean, ask a guy like, um, uh, what's his name, Uberim, that all it takes is one. You can dominate for 20 minutes. I fully think that we'll see Tybura win the first round, maybe even win the second round, but I think he'll get knocked out eventually in this fight. I think it might be a live betting spot, but I will not be betting Jarzinho or Big or Tybura because I, the Tybura side, I want to play. I really do. I think the value's there. I just can't bring myself to, it's not enough value for the crazy amount of power that Biggie boy brings. Here's what, Here's been my take, and I like Tibera. The 36 years old is a problem for me, but I feel like he's hit new strides in his career as of recent. But here's my problem, Dan, and, and I'm, I'm curious your take. So he went to unanimous decision with Volkov. He dominated Walt Harris, dominated Greg Hardy. Okay, Unanimous decision with both Roswell and Grisham and Spivak. So to me, that's proven durability. I agree. You can look at the fact that, okay, Biggie Boy's different. Okay. He lost. He got knocked out by Derek Lewis. But in that fight, he dominated almost every single second until he got knocked out. So to me, is he durable enough to implement a grapple-heavy approach and just steal that decision? Because – Biggie Boy, as we've seen, not great when it hits the cards. Lost to Curtis Blades, unanimous decision. Obviously, Curtis Blades is a total different level, but lost to uh, Cyril Ghosn when it hit decision. And everything else has been either finishes or gotten finished. So if Tibera executes his game plan here, is 130 or 140 a good enough price? Not for me. And, and I guess that's what it came down to. I think that I'm more inclined to see when, or when Tybura starts having success, I'm more inclined to look at that biggie boy number because I don't think that ultimately it will go to the scorecards. I think you're right. I think that it, if it does, biggie boy is probably not going to win this fight. He doesn't have the output. Um, he's not like a pure where you can be a counter puncher and have the power and just land bigger shots and win rounds. It, it, he really needs a finish, like you were saying. He, he's do or die. Um, I think he'll do in this case scenario. 
But am I excited about the path to get there? No. I, I think that Marcin is going to give him a lot of problems. I think that it's not going to be instant. But I do think that Biggie Boy finds the spot and ends this fight before the judges can say anything. This is a good time quickly to just pl- – I know you're about to say something, Cole, but just to plug the ankle pick pod on Twitter one more time. We're going to be actively tweeting. And so if there is a live bet spot, we'll get that out to you if one of us is hitting it and post the ticket so you can ride along with us. Kobe, yeah, Tybura has a plus 350 unanimous decision number. Is that enticing? It is. I mean, that would to be To me, that's way. a lot more enticing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would be the way. That's over on DraftKings. Interesting. Okay, so keep, keep that posted for now. Last prelim, prelim capper, Ian Gary has taken on Darian Weeks who Darian Weeks is a name we've mentioned on this pod before with his Barbarina fight. Um, he was a favorite. I think we both liked him too and, and dropped that one. And then Ian Gary on the other side is just pretty much as highly touted of a prospect as you see, um, especially at 24 years old, fighting out of Sanford, undefeated, the Irish boy. He, he fills that, that hype train. Uh, he checks all the boxes. Yeah. But well, I sit here and find myself like kind of nonchalant, like almost disinterested. I, it's weird. Maybe I haven't seen enough tape and, and I'm not like on the train. I, I, I guess I'm not. I'm saying that I'm not on the Ian Gary train yet. Uh, and I, I hope he proves me wrong. But I have seen what you've seen. He's supposed to have all this hype and everyone's giving him the respect of. I mean, see, I similar to Patty Pimblett. I think he's a better fighter than Patty, but I see why people are these are drawn to Patty and I don't see it for yeah. Ian. No, I, I get that. And, and, but doubling down on that hype train, we got a guy who opened at minus 184 favorite in Ian Gary currently sitting at minus 350 and has gotten as high as minus 400. Darren Weeks on the other side, as high as plus 300. It sounds like though, Dan, and correct me if I'm wrong, but although you might not be fully buying in on Ian Gary, I don't think you're rushing to the tickets to bet Darian Weeks. Is that correct? That is correct. And but it's more, correct. I think it says more about Darian Weeks than anything else. Not to draw that Pimblet comparison again, but I think I said it on that episode. There will be a supreme, unreal, mega, holy spot to fade Patty. There will be the same spot for Ian Gary. It's just not this week. And I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not rushing to the, you're right. I'm not rushing to the ticket to bet Darian weeks, but I do think that the hype's got to end and it's going to end. It's going to end in flames. Interesting. Interesting. And we have been pretty good at predicting, you know, the trajectories of a lot of hype trains. I mean, I know we're both on the side that Patty Pimlet will crumble and burn and that's remained to be seen, but like, Look at our Cyril Gan take. I mean, has that, I mean, he was fighting for a belt within five fights. Obviously, Hamzad now is blown up. We were on that from the beginning. So when it comes to prospects, especially certain prospects, our gut feelings have actually proven to be overall pretty successful. I mean, Marab, Shavkat, Delize, oh, Tapuria. I'm still out on Delize. I'm still out on that home record. We'll see. I think he's going to do like what you said, the direct quote. 
he's going to do everything he can to lose this fight. Like it's what that's the but the whole time that, that that's the most infuriating part about him. And I don't mean to go off on this tangent, but he's going to spend 15 minutes showing everyone why I'm a more skilled fighter than this guy, but also spending each five sec like minute segment being like, all right, he won that one, but I'm, right. I'm way better. Right. 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 It's, it is confusing. I will admit, but until he proves to iron that out, I, I, he's not getting my stamp in that, that list of names you just made, rattled I off. Get you. Okay. Main card time. And when talking about main card fights, this one's an interesting one. So we're open off the pay-per-view with Vince Pichel fighting Mark O. Madsen. And Mark O. Madsen is an 11-0, probably up there with the likes of Henry Cejudo when talking about wrestling pedigree. But he's 37 years old, made a late transition to MMA, fights out of fight ready. However, he has he's 3-0 inside the UFC, beating everybody. On the other side, you got Vince Michelle, who has shown bits of wrestling, but when you look at everything all together, he's just a journeyman type guy, came off the ultimate fighter, 39 years old, has never even been talked about in the words of a title yet seemingly takes home a ton of uh, fight of the night bonuses and just he's a fun fighter to watch. The one thing, Dan, I'm going to say, the fight that I looked at the most was that Gregor Gillespie fight. Vince Michelle took a loss. And that one, stylistically, what Gregor brings to the table and is looking to implement, I think reminded me the most of what Marco Manson might bring to the table. But when you look at Vince Michelle, since coming off the Ultimate Fighter, he has won every single fight except Gregor Gillespie. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So I don't know. It's an interesting. I, I really don't know how to play this one. But before we hear your take, I'm going to get the line for you. It's Vince Pichel minus 125, Marco Madsen plus 105. Lined open at Marco Madsen minus 150 and kind of has flipped on its head since then. And I'm glad to see that line movement because I think if I had to pick a side, gone to my head, I am picking Vince Michelle. But I don't love either side. So I'm, I'm glad you said that. Uh, and you mentioned how Madsen has on paper the wrestling credentials that compare to, I mean, Gregor Gillespie, Henry Cejudo, um, to me, the really big thing to remember when comparing those resumes is the freestyle versus Greco discrepancy. Uh, Cejudo and Gregor's background, even on paper, even though this is all on paper, is just it leads itself much better to transitioning to MMA. And one thing we've seen from Marco Madsen is it, even frustratingly so is almost an inability to be that dominant wet blanket wrestler um, that we've seen from other guys with the same pedigree. And I think a lot of that has to do with the Greco style. There aren't really any body lock stuff that you're doing that are, are going to allude to just a quick transition. And I, I really like Pichelle here. 
I think that um, he's a ton. He's a he's a head and shoulders better striker. I think he's going to be able to yeah. hurt Mark the more that this stays on the feet. Mark yeah. was kind of trying to prove to the world and to me and to whoever that he's a complete fighter against the Clay Guida. Um, and part of that was, I think, staying safe. I don't think he wanted to grapple with Clay Guida. But I'm going to be really surprised if he tries to stay on his feet against Vince Bichelle. And I've just not seen really anything, even though he's undefeated. that shows me that Mark Madsen can be a dominant, dominant, I mean, Dagestani style or Kamaru style or, or, or just any kind of top pressure, almost Americanized wrestler. Um, the Greco style just doesn't lend itself to that. And so as long as Vince isn't lost at getting up off his back, which I think he's proven himself not to be. And I think that, I mean, I don't know, it'd be a giant red flag going forward on whatever camp he's been at. If he's not training, getting off his back. But I think that as long as he's not spending immense time on his back, this is his fight to lose. I really like this, uh, I, I really like this spot. I haven't placed it yet, but this is one that I'm certain will be on my card. Vince, Vince from Hell to Shell come Saturday morning. I like that. And, and one of the things I like that is because it, it fits into what I harp about all the time, where it's like experience, experience, experience. Like in MMA, it, it just cannot be trained. And Vince Pichel is a guy who has – time and time again stepped up and proven he's UFC caliber and, and wins fights and gets you know gritty hmm I Dan I I don't hate that take and from a betting perspective too you love seeing a guy who's 11 and 0 as the underdog because you know that Vegas is agreeing with you on the side of Vince Bichelle where it's like the average guy who knows nothing is going to take that 11 and 0 guy to win at plus 105 or whatever well I mean in um, you're talking about an 11 and 0 guy. We're all talking about an 11 and 0 guy. We're going to talk about Hamza in a second, who's 10 and 0. Obviously, it's different ends of the spectrum, but one of them has Vince Pichel, and one of them has a guy who's coming off of a title fight, who's the number two contender in the world, Marco Madsen. If it takes me betting against him to bring out this 11 and 0 like mythical fighter kind of whatever. It's just I haven't seen it, and I don't think anyone else has seen yeah, it either. No. Otherwise, he'd be a favorite here against a guy who no. isn't a contender. You're 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 dead on. You're dead on the mark. And and it, it there's a lot that remains to be seen. Okay, moving up the main card, and someone who Dan I I did end up watching the UFC pre-fight stuff. They 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 didn't get into it per se, but. Mackenzie asked a question. It's Mackenzie Dern versus Tisha Torres. Mackenzie asked a question. What are you going to do when I get you to the mat? And Tisha said, oh, you're going to deal with my striking. It's not going to happen or something along those lines. The line is Mackenzie Dern minus 117. Tisha Torres minus 103. Mackenzie Dern opened at minus 110. And so it's moved a little bit towards Mackenzie Dern. Not much. Here's the thing that's crazy, though. This is the lowest line on Mackenzie Dern ever. Wow, that surprised me. She was minus 185 against our girl, Marina Rodriguez. And she was as low as minus 140 and closed in the minus 170 range against Jan Jaroba. But every other fight, she has been a heavy, heavy favorite, um, including against Amanda Heba. She was minus 250. Um, Ashley Yoder, she was minus 475. So we're talking about a girl that, at least on the Vegas spectrum, gets a ton of love. 
coming I, in at minus 110. I did want to make one comment on that uh, press conference exchange that you mentioned. Yeah. When Dern chimed in, I was completely caught off guard because I was like, wait, she doesn't need a translator. Like, I, I totally forgot that she spoke English, which is just hilarious. But <laughs> for those who don't know about the ongoing joke, especially with Mac- like Mackenzie Dern, is she was born in like Flagstaff, Arizona and has developed a strong, strong Brazilian accent. From living in Brazil for years and years, I will give yeah. her that. But like, but it is strong. It was to the point where legitimately when she ch- she clapped back in English, and I was like, whoa, like, this Brazilian, she knows her English. Like. Right. <laughs> so anyways, that's always funny stuff. She's just like that, that Brazilian defect who is technically American, but no one would know unless she, uh, unless she told you. So but yeah, obviously she's yeah. an extreme, extreme threat uh, when it comes to submission and if this fight hits the mat. But uh, like you were saying, and, and like Tisha was saying, she hasn't proven to me to be this like dominant wrestler, as good as grappler as she is. I haven't really seen that she can get opponents to the mat at will and, and get this fight at horizontal when she wants a lot of it is is opponents going into her guard and kind of playing that game for her and we saw when marina didn't and made it really difficult for her um dern got tired and, and dern got hurt and and dern was really unable to manage with the length of marina rodriguez and i think that's a game plan that tisha is going to be able to emulate i think that she can kind of to keep this fight standing if she wants. I think Mackenzie's the one that really needs to show that she's got a, a different level to her game, uh, show that the striking is really taking the steps forward that she wants it to uh, move forward, land those overhands, and be able to close the distance. Because without it, she's going to have a really tough time in this fight. So I, I agree with you for some of it and not all of it. I So – I've watched Tisha Torres for a very, very long time. Um, she was someone who I also believe came off tough. Maybe not. I, I might be wrong. No, she did. She, she came off tough as well. And I, I believe it was the Rose season, but I, I digress. But she's shown time and time again that although she can strike, she also likes to wrestle. I would almost go as far to say that, like, she's – looked to implement wrestling now i don't think she's going to implement wrestling here but what i've noticed from people who do like to implement wrestling that she's faced and again i know it's going way back but like random marcos or beck rawlings or um jessica andrage who's also a strikers but you're, you're looking at at people who like to try to implement that she struggled reason being size you're looking at a girl who's five one 60 inches reach versus 5463. I mean, she's gonna have to close the distance, she's gonna have to try to get in close, which I mean, one good timed level change and you're on your back. And so that's something that I think have you seen a good time level change though for Mackenzie? I don't remember. Like, I'm not trying I've, to be a hater because I, no, I no, really no, love no, Mackenzie no, Durham, I'm a I big know. fan. No, I, I have not. I have not seen a good time level change, but it's so much easier to do that when you're facing someone who has to come in close and, and has to lean on that front foot to try to close the distance that I think maybe if she leans size, she could get a trip. I mean, 
I, I do see what you're saying. I just, I don't know if I see 15 minutes of Dern just getting pieced up on the feet, you know? Oh, I don't think it's going to be just a, a, I don't think it's going to be an easy fight by any means. I'm not saying that. I, I'm just a little reluctant to assume that this fight is going to hit the mat. Like you said, Tisha can wrestle. Um, and I've just not seen from Mackenzie that her wrestling is a, a high level component of her game. And I know that the jujitsu is like the highest level. That's what I was going to say. Let's just say in theory, and I know this is a huge in theory, but in theory, it does hit the mat. Are you comfortable enough to say that, okay, it's over arm bar triangle, whatever. Or do you think that Tisha has good enough defense in jujitsu that even if it does happen, she's back to her feet? Because I think that's if, the question. I think that if Mackenzie has a minute and a half to two minutes of, to work, the fight is over. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's the take because let's say you confidently said Tisha's going to be able to get back to her feet. Well, then Mackenzie really doesn't have a chance because I don't think she's going to be able to chain together three, four, five takedowns. I think she might have one, two, maybe three. Um, interesting. And so for our system, Kobe, I think we're going to have to wait till close because both of these girls have a minus in front of them currently. I think Dern will end up um, <clears throat> closing. I think that's also the case with Rodriguez Hansen earlier in the card too, right? Okay. Uh, yeah, no, I I thought, so. yeah, it is. It is. So we'll have to see and stay tuned. I don't think we have a plan if they, if, if they both close. Tune in to the live Saturday morning. There you go. You got to tune in. We'll get that women's dog system figured out then. But so it sounds like Dan, that we have similar takes and we just don't too many question marks around how this one will play out. Okay. Yep. Okay. Here we go. Everyone. If you're in your car or if you're at work or whatever, sit down, stay seated. Here's where it gets interesting. Poha brother. Gilbert Poha Burns. First Hamza Chumayev. Can we, can we start calling him Hamzat Poha brother, Jemaya? Poha brother. I, I could get behind that. I smash. I eat him. I kill him. Okay, we got – so on, uh, we have um, – so the line must be in futures here for best fight odds. We need, to, we need to get them to sponsor us, and then we need to complain about how if something's in the futures line, it stays there. Okay, Hamzat Chemaev is minus 550, and Gilbert Burns is plus 425. I'm going to say that one more time. <laughs> Hamza Chemaev is minus 550. Poha Burns plus 425. Um, this opened, Kobe mentioned it on Set the Spread, and we about quit the podcast, retired, and moved to some foreign place where no one could ever hear us, at minus 110 on each side. So you're seeing where Vegas heads was at? Burst where the public's heads are clearly at. You know, we are huge Kamzat guys. You also know that out of the small percentage of the world, we happen to be bigger Poha Burns guys. Dan, I, I, I think I, your take is probably going to be the best take because of how well you know both of these guys. Where are you at? Because for me, I'm just going to go quick because I know you're going to go on a rant. For me, I'm at Burns plus 425 because when you look at it, if even if, even if Hamza Chemaev wins two out of every three, you still have a 40% edge on price in taking Burns, which is just crazy value. So regardless of the outcome, 
I put my money where there's value and I, I would be hard pressed to see there not being value on Burns. Definitely. This is one of those fights where we're not necessarily giving you who we think is going to be the winner. Uh, as people who spend a lot of time gambling, there's value on one side and there's no value on the other. Even if Hamzat is absolutely everything that we think he is and more and everything that we were saying since the first fight, I think I introduced him as could be better than Habib, which is a ridiculous thing to say. Um, <laughs> even, even if he is that, we haven't seen it yet. Burns is way too accomplished, way too skilled to be priced where he currently is. The only, only thing that is keeping me from making this like a full unit or a full, maybe even a multi-unit play is size. And Reese has talked, has talked a little bit about it on our set the spreads. Hamzad is just a different kind of puzzle to solve because of the size. It'd be one thing if it was just the grappling or the, or the wrestling skill and the top pressure, but there's the size element. Gilbert was a 155 or Hamzat can fight at 185 comfortably. That being said, we, we, we're saying that Hamzat is this mythical fighter because he is. We've seen him throw like three punches versus Gerald Mearshart, and all of a sudden we're saying that he can strike with top-level strikers. I'm not ready to say that yet. I know that Gilbert Burns can strike with top-level strikers. I've seen him put uh, Kamaru on a, on a knee. Obviously, he didn't drop him, but was this close, closest to, that anyone else has been. I'm not ready to say that Hamzat is going to be comfortable if this fight stays standing, and I am ready to say that Anytime Gilbert's on his back, I'm going to be a little comfortable. Even if Hamzat is just that physical dominance that we've heard from all of his camps and, and through the amateur scene and all of it, I'm, I'm expecting him to be. I'm not sitting here saying I'm putting the house on Gilbert, but it's the only side I can be on. Um, and I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe Hamzat proving that he should be a favorite against fucking Kamaru because if he runs through Gilbert better than Kamaru did, I'd be hard pressed for odd makers to make him a dog, but I'm not ready to say that that's just the truth yet. And like you said, the odds imply that he's going to win 70% of the time or something. That's just not something I'm ready to say. Yeah. It's, it's, it's gotten to a point where I think the public over bet and you're getting to that point of paying McGregor tax, even though McGregor wins a lot and same with Hamza, obviously Hamza wins. If you're looking on a fear, a pure value proposition, it is impossible for it to be Hamza. It's impossible. What I do want to say before we move on. Yeah. Two, I mean, they're the same kind of concept, but two things I love in this fight is at even money under one and a half. I think that these guys are going to go out there and fucking kill each other. I kind of like the over. So that's interesting. Okay. And I like the under two and a half at minus 200. I think you can parlay that with the, any any single one of the three last fights that you're the strongest on. Um, I would I would advise not Volkanovski just because that 800 isn't going to do much for you. But um, I think that even playing it straight one, I don't think that they fight for 12 and a half minutes. And then two, if you wanted to parlay that under with something, I, I think that's a great bet. 800 is crazy um yeah it just does nothing ridiculous but but i don't know i i my first inkling was maybe liking the over because of the durability that 
both these guys bring. I know people question Gilbert Burns' durability from one off to instant with that Dan Hooker at 55, but I don't know. It will, For we'll, me, we'll this see. isn't so much a durability thing. It's just like Stylist unstoppable protection. force and move object kind of thing where it's going to be a sub or it's going to be a smash and we're not going to get 15 minutes of fight time to figure it out. It's going to be, I think, five or six minutes of fight time and, and we're going to – There's. it's going to be – I don't know. I think that however this fight goes, it's going to be one-sided. One last enough. thing. One last thing. We're moving on to the co-main. One last thing. Did you see the picture outside the weight-cutting sauna yesterday? Of I did. I did. I didn't think it was so crazy, though. Obviously, okay. Hamzad is a couple inches on him, but Gilbert looks thick. He doesn't look like he's going to be just manhandled. Okay. I kind of agree. I, I did feel like I – felt the size difference a little bit, but I also agree. I didn't think Gilbert did look thick, but there definitely was a length advantage that was apparent. Okay. For sure. Oh, Comain, Aljo main Sterling versus Piotr Jan happening for the 135 Comain. Uh, it's a title unification bout. Although I know a lot of people will beg to differ on who the real champion is. So real quick, can I pause you? Yeah. Cause I was thinking about this earlier and maybe it's just that my brain's going a little fuzzy. But how does Piotr still technically have the belt? You, like, he got disqualified. I know that. And Aljo got the belt because of it. But, like, he, he did lose uh, it to Aljo. No, he won. No, so he did lose it to Aljo. Oh, and then he – so was the Sandhagen fight was an interim? Bingo. Okay. Yeah. I forgot but, that that yeah, was yeah, an yeah. interim. So, so he lost it to Aljo on the DQ. And then he won the interim belt against Sandhagen. And so this is the unification bout. And you have the technically challenger, Piotr Jan, at minus 460, Aljo at plus 365. And it opened at Piotr minus 350 and has been like, there was no sharp dip here. It's pretty much just been a straight tick, like just straight slope. Um, I do want to mention, though, that on the first fight, Piotr Jan closed at like minus 130. Yeah, that was, um, I was all over that. I lost so much money on that fight. Me too. I had like three or four units on that. That was terrible. Um, but anyways, it shows he's minus 460 now. And you know, Dan, my honest take is I always have thought Piotr's going to win this fight. I really, like every second since announcing this fight, since the first fight, since now, I think Piotr's going to win. But again, I think it's a similar story. It's been over bet. It's been over hit to that upside. I, I think that you're telling me that Aljo wins 10% of the time or less. Like, that seems kind of egregious to me. No, I completely agree. And that's the story with all three of these fights, sadly, because, I mean, you look at the A sides of all three, and I can make the argument that they might be the best three fighters in the world. I've said yeah. it so about Piotr before, and I still agree with it. And looking it's at this fight is just a. That. It's not crazy to say that. I mean, there's always the Kamaru and like the 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 cup, but like I mean, when you look at those three, Pyotr Volkanovsky, and then obviously Hamzat's early, but like two years from now, we could be saying, oh yeah, that's goat one, goat two, goat, or you know what I mean? That's pound for right. pound. No, I, that, right. right. And you look at this fight as a one-off fight, and Pyotr Jan's going to win it. We, like the only thing that you can draw back on Pyotr is that he starts a little slow and it's I mean, I was listening to a couple different um, big-time head coaches talk about Piotr, 
and say it, it's not because he's a slow starter or it takes a while to get into it. He's analyzing. He's oh, downloading yeah. the data. He's drawing out counters. He's finding the exact moments to tear you apart. And then, and then he comes at them with crazy power, crazy accuracy, crazy ferocity. And I think that this being a rematch, he's not going to have to spend five minutes to download Aljo. I think that Aljo has to fully come in there and fight like he's never fought before. It's a completely different game plan. And the onus is on him to really change everything because Piotr has shown. Let me pose a question for you quickly. Who, who do you think the fact that this is a rematch favors more? Because I want to be in camp that this helps Aljo more. Because I, I think Aljo, it's definitely Piotr. See, so I don't want to dive too deep into this because I know country club's going to start twirling his finger like a dick, but, <laughs> but Piotr, Aljo now knows, okay, I've had two years or a year and a half or however long it's been to train at all my issues that Piotr out-X'd me. He outstruck me. He outgrappled me, XYZ, and come up with a game plan where Piotr, I don't think his game plan changes at all. I mean, right, Piotr, exactly. Like, Piotr doesn't change his game plan, but where, if you're in Aljo's camp, where do you find that hole? That's Sarah Longo. I would say, so here's the thing that's interesting. I think that you, everyone would assume that Aljo would have to find his hole in the grappling prowess. And I think that's a safe thing to say, but I think Piotr's biggest hole would be getting caught in the striking. And so that's why I'm like, I, I don't I think know if, if someone Al- was going to do it, it was going to be Corey Sandhagen. And I don't think that Aljo has the, I, I don't think he poses the same threat. But on Aljo the walked Corey right did. through Sandhagen. I mean, Aljo was a buzzsaw to Sandhagen. Right, exactly. So, but it wasn't a striking buzzsaw. So, I think that if Cody and Aljo were in a Muay Thai fight, it would be the same thing, but opposite. I think that Cody would run through Aljo like a buzzsaw if they were just in a Muay Thai fight. I think that, Aljo has to grab like the the one line I'm looking at in terms of just crazy value. Aljamain Sterling at the division is the single best jujitsu practitioner. Like you said, ran through Corey yeah. Sandhagen like a buzzsaw. You can get plus a thousand for him to win by submission. Oh, that and is. I know that Piotr Jan is a ridiculous grappler, but that That's number should never out. exist for the best no. submission artist in he, a division. He also will spend time on his back, and he will be implementing. He'll be chucking up subs like a motherfucker. Um, I agree. I think that that's a real, I, like I think that. there's a ton, ton of value I like there. That. I like that, that being said, I've been saying on multiple episodes in no, a row that Piotr yeah, Jan is the best fighter in, in the world. Put a pin in that. Dan, what do you think about over three and a half at minus 155? So this goes back to the same question or a similar answer to the question you just asked me about who benefits more from the rematch. And I think that Piotr benefits more. And I think that he's going to get a finish because of that. I think he's going to start faster and he's going to know where Aljo wants to go. And I think he's going to have answers and have just stuff for everything that Aljo wants to do. And Aljo type performance, just a ground and pound murder. Yep. I, I really do. I think he's going to drop him early. I think he's going to be on top of him early. And I think he's going to be throwing just hammers from uh, either a stacked guard or, or some kind of full guard even. Um, that, I, I don't hate that take. That's an interesting take. And we're about to get into the main event. But one thing I wanted to throw out before is a little prediction here. The camps have been getting into it beyond, between Piotr and Aljo. And a lot of people know that Marab... Devalishvili, my homie, 
is going to be cornering and is, is really good friends with Aljo. I already see a pay-per-view promo title challenger with Marab building up right now. I mean, in the press conference, you heard it. it Piotr called him that little ginger, the short ginger fuck or whatever. And then Aljo was like, oh, that guy, that ginger fuck would kick your ass. He would kick your ass. I already was feeling hyped for a fight down the line of Piotr Marab, um, which I don't want to get into, but I think could cause whole other difficulties with that pressure wrestling. But that's something that I saw and was getting hyped about. I don't know. We, we this is too much of a tangent. Yeah, too but much. Where would you lie in a Marab Magomed Magomedov fight right now in terms Marab, of just pressure wrestling? Marab minus fifteen million. No, I. It would be like it would be Marab minus like one sixty. Okay, I don't hate that, but I think that it'd be an interesting matchup. I think that Piotr's dealt with extreme, extreme high-level pressure wrestling. No, he has, but Marab is, is the elite of that. Okay, um, and now we're on to the main event because, as predicted, Country Club gave me the wag. We got Alexander Volkanovsky, 23-1, and one, and I believe he lost either his debut – or his second fight, it was, it was like his third in the amateur scene. He is ripped through the UFC like no one I've ever seen before. But he's fighting the Korean zombie, a guy who stylistically brings the decorated striking that, I mean, between beating Yair Rodriguez and the way he's styled on Frankie Edgar and Moicano, you know that it, it only takes one and you can just get caught. But the line doesn't reflect that as Alexander Volkanovsky is sitting at minus 720 on five dimes and as high as minus 800 on like FanDuel and BetMGM. Chang Sung Jong on the other side or Chan Sung Jong on the other side, plus 510, the Korean zombie. And here's the crazy part. And I think the most crazy part, and honestly, the storyline of this conversation is Alexander Volkanovsky opened at minus 330, much more tangible of the line and has come all the way to minus 800. I mean, it is over doubled. Crazy stuff from the betting world as far as where people think the money belongs. My take's short, my take's quick. I think Volkanovski pound for pound is top three. When we did our beginning of the year pound for pound list, I think I was the only one who had him in my top five and I had him at number three or, or, or you guys might have him at four or five, but what country club? Just tell me how I'm wrong. I was saying Danny's all over him. Oh, Dan I know Danny's over him, but did he have him in the pound for pound list? Yeah. I wasn't on that episode, but he's, he was definitely on, oh, my, okay. on my so, list. Yeah. So pound for pound list, but Danny, like he said, we both said he could be a top three pound for pound come, you know, whatever. Volk's the guy. But when you have a da as dangerous of a striker as Chung, uh, Chan Sung Jung or the Korean Zombie, a lot of people call him, at, at plus 510, look, I think Volkanovsky wins this fight. I think he wins it pretty easily. I think he can win it by finish. I think he can win it by decision. I think he can kind of implement his own game plan. But you can never count a guy with the striking of Korean Zombie out because of his ability to catch people, because of his ability for spin attacks, because of his ability to honestly throw a punch from angles that he didn't even see coming. So I think Volkanovski wins. But I think that a fool's Aaron is betting him at 720 or 800. I just think that at this high level of martial arts, no one, and I mean no one, and, and Amanda Nunes proved this, should be higher than minus 800 or whatever. Definitely. It, you're, you're all over it. 
no, I mean, there's no value betting the Volkanovsky side as much as I think that he is one of the best fighters in the world and that he is one of the best game planners in the world and that he is has one of the best fight IQs and pace yeah. and, and it, all of it. You're on top of it that TKZ has power that he hasn't really faced yet. I think that the heaviest puncher that he's faced was an aging Aljo, which is just yeah. a little interesting. Aldo, not Aljo, sorry. Um, the one prop that I, it's really drawing me out, though, is the Holloway, TKZ maybe? inside the distance. Chad Mendez, maybe, but I agree with you. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I was no, all good. Before. Continue. All good. You look at the other side, TKZ has one win since 2008. It is his last win, but the only decision win he's, he's not – the only win he hasn't finished was Dan Ige since 2008. If he's going to beat Volk here, he's going to catch him. We saw Volk get dropped and then into a quick guillotine from Brian Ortega. Um I mean, I'm not saying that TKZ can outstrike Brian Ortega because he looked terrible against Ortega yeah, when lost. they both came back. He got, he looked, he got destroyed, yeah. and Volkanovski destroyed this new version of Ortega. Other than the 30 seconds that you just mentioned. Exactly. Yeah. But we've seen Volkanovski in danger. We've seen him get caught. Um, I was listening to an interview with one of the main striking coaches, Santino DeFranco at Fight Ready, uh, that was working with TKZ on this camp. And he broke it down to as simple as it's going to be Volk's, there's a quote, it's going to be Volk's leg kicks and movement versus TKZ's power. And how do those things match up? We've seen Volk get clipped before, was what he said. That was a, that was a quote from TKZ's coach. So that's something I, I really think is, is going to be on TKZ's mind, managing those kicks uh, managing that movement and trying to land a big one. Which... But you're also looking at a guy on the other side in Volkanovski who outside of his third fight ever has never been finished. And I think the, cl- and, and has never been finished like, or really been even at least in the UFC has been rocked. I mean, even in the Holloway fights, I don't think we've ever seen him. We, he got dropped him. in like the second round of the second Holloway fight. And then he got yeah. dropped and almost choked in. Yeah, Ortega. the Ortega, but yeah. I mean, to, anything's to your example, Aldo, Mendez, like these, these are guys that aren't, aren't slouches by any means. No. no. Um, and then also the other 35 minutes of Holloway. Like it, so one of the questions I wanted to ask is do you th- see a submission threat? Because, I mean, even the head coach said it's going to be a striking thing, but Korean Zombie is one of the only guys in the UFC history to pull off a tornado, Bryce Mitchell being the other guy, and is someone who, honestly, because of the decoration of in his striking, gets overlooked in his ability to submit people. I mean, he has a win. This is, a, this is true. You can go look it up right now. Korean Zombie has a win over Dustin Poirier via, uh, via Dar's choke. And that happened, that happened in the UFC. I mean, granted, it was 10 years ago. But, it, it, I mean, it's a guy who's proven to be able to submit people, right? And so so the question is, how does that look in this situation? We saw Vinol, we've seen Volkanovski get almost caught by uh, Ortega in the submission and then almost caught multiple times on the feet. Can, it, can Korean Zombie win this in multiple ways? Or is this going to be a purely, I'm going to need to knock him out? So I, I dabbled with the idea that he could get a sub, and I ultimately decided that if Ortega can't, Volk, or TKZ won't. And, and it's not that Ortega 
like we, we were just talking about it. Ortega had the exact position, had the exact situation yeah. and didn't even have to like progress there. It wasn't a, it wasn't a chain of, of different threatens and whatnot. Anytime that Volk and Volk was willing to anytime that they were grappling and Volk was on top, he was in no danger. It was only after he kind of got hurt and then was immediately in that guillotine. Yep. Um, I don't see TKZ implementing a big jujitsu game plan, but maybe a club and sub to answer your question. Like if, if we're going to see a, a sub, I think that he hurts Volk on the feet first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I just think the ultimate decision is, is, or the ultimate conclusion is Volkanovsky can't be bet at minus 800, but even at minus five or plus five fifty, we're not rushing to bet Korean zombie. It's going to be enjoy the show type thing. There are scenarios where Korean zombie can ruin a shitload of parlays, but at the same time, I think nine times out of 10 Volkanovsky wins this one pretty easily too. So definitely sounds like the ongoing conclusion. So before we wrap up, one, sorry for going a little long, but you know how it is for pay-per-views. We always go a little bit extra. Two, we are going live. One more time. I know we've said three times. Saturday morning before the UFC card, we will finalize plays, update if there's any injuries or withdrawals, talk about um, the ankle lock and all the good stuff. It has been a profitable hour to the morning or 30 minutes to the morning when, when we have done it. Lastly, obviously, go follow the socials. Continue. I mean, we've gotten so many likes and ratings on um, the different podcast uh, audios. It, it honestly keeps us going. We've been at this for two years, and it's just takes a lot of work and energy from all of us, so we appreciate the love, as always. Last thing, YouTube. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on the YouTube. It's, it's an ongoing project, an ongoing progress, and this probably um, will – be our first youtube video when it goes up i don't know but something to be something to keep in mind so country club any other house cleaning activities before we before we wrap it up be all saturday let's go tiger perfect Poha. Poha, brother Poha. thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.